Um, we're, in, uh, we're in the gospel according to Mark, and today we're going to be in the first part of chapter four. We're going to read and walk through a parable that you, almost everybody, both online and here, if you've spent any time at church, any time in the gospels, you're familiar with this parable. And I'm going to ask you to do something that I've asked you to do before. I'm going to ask you to, when it, just the parable, not the, not the why parable. You know, so there's the parable, and then there's why do you speak in parables, and then there's the explanation of the parable. For the first part, and the second part is fine, but just act as if you've never heard it before. Act as if you're standing there and some preacher standing up and he's talking to you and he's giving you this illustration, this parable, this thought. Um, because the people that heard it for the first time had never heard it before. And the people that read it for the first time when the gospel according to Mark was sent out around the known world had never they never heard it before. They never read it before. Um, because there's a question that I'm going to ask you in the middle of it. And I bet if you're honest with yourself, you'll be able to answer, yeah. So a couple of things about parables. Um, rabbis, teachers, biblical people, uh, or uh, uh, Jewish teachers, they, they used parables and most of them were common. Um, and what the, 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 the rabbi or the teacher would do is he would put his own little twist on it. For example, the parable of the prodigal son or the wayward son. Um, the way that parable is supposed to end with rabbis when they go around and talking about it is they're supposed to, when the son says, dad, and this is basically what it says, dad, you're dead to me. I want my inheritance. Okay. So he goes off, he squanders it. He comes back. And when he comes back, the father's supposed to meet him at the gate and say, I'm dead to you. You're dead to me and not receive him back. And so Jesus often takes a parable and he turns it on its head. It's, that's why we call it a parable. It's a, it's a parabolic, it goes up like this, this is the expectation, and then he, nope, he changes it on you. Um, he does that here, but not in the telling of the parable, but in telling a parable that people might've heard it before, but not quite like this. Okay, so here's what's going on in Mark, and then I'm gonna give you a little context. We're going to pray. We'll get into the parable. We'll still, it's not a real long message. We still have time for communion and all of that. Um, we talked a little bit about, they, they were, had been after Jesus. They couldn't really come down on him for on his teaching. Well, they tried. They couldn't really come down on him for his casting out demons, although they're going to try. Uh, they couldn't really come down on him for his healings. So they decided to come down with him with all the power of, the, of religion. And we talked about that last week with the whole idea of Sabbath and his Sabbath observance. And he takes it and he flips it on its head. After that, we see that, that, uh, that Jesus, they, they plot murder on the Sabbath, but they didn't like him healing on the Sabbath. And then we say, we, we hear that hundreds or thousands of people start following after Jesus. There's a whole lot of ballyhoo, you know what that was? Okay, a hoopla, whole lot of hoopla going on around the person of Jesus. So wherever he is, hundreds and or thousands of people come to hear him, to be healed by him, to bring their, their demon-possessed family members, that kind of thing. But we're, we're so early in this gospel that Jesus has called out the Peter and James and, and, and the sons of Zebedee, and, 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 and he said, I'll make you fishers of men. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, but but he hasn't even taken those that are going to be closest to him until right before Mark 4. It says that he appoints the 12 who we call apostles. 
he calls disciples at the time. They're, they become apostles after his uh, resurrection. And then they, the, the powers that be are getting so frustrated with him because nothing they do, no question they ask, no test they give him seem to trap him that they decided to accuse him of casting out demons by the power of Baal, uh, Baal Zebub, uh, the devil. And that's when Jesus quotes Abraham Lincoln. He does. He, he says, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Why would, why would Satan cast out Satan, so to speak? Um, and, and after that, and then Jesus' mothers and brothers, he's kind of close to his hometown. And his mothers and brothers come and, and they're like, dude, dial it back a notch. I mean, you used to cry when you had an upset tummy. They don't say that, but that's kind of what they're getting at. We know who you are. Dial it back a notch. You're not, don't be crazy. And Jesus has this thing. He says, look, the, the people that are my family the people that are my brothers and sisters, the people that, that I belong to are the people that belong to me. And then we have this parable. Now let's pray, ask God to show us what he wants us to hear or show us what he wants us to see and tell us what he wants us to hear. Lord, stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts and speak with my mouth. I desperately want your message for your people, not my message for them. Lord, I've worked on this, these scriptures, learned some new things. It's been very exciting for me, but uh, I've worked on them till they worked on me. And so what I plan to bring today is, is kind of how you worked on me. And I assume that that's how you want to work on others. If that is not what you want, then make it clear to me and I will say whatever you want me to say. But Lord, if there's something I have planned to say that you don't want to say, I don't want to say it. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive what you want us to see and hear and receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, before we start reading this, this is just a total Bible nerd thing. Um, I think it's really cool that Jesus gets in a boat to preach to the people because I know that I can yell at uh, Pastor Kurt's son when he's fishing in the pond in my neighborhood across the pond if there's not much wind. And I can tell, hey, Luke, your mom and dad, someone's going to come pick you up in five minutes and he can go, okay. And it kind of echoes across the pond. Everyone in the, everyone else can hear it, but you can hear it. So I just think it's cool. A lot of times people take Jesus in the boat and they say, it's kind of like the president, uh, president, the secret service in the limo, you know, the beast that if there's a threat, they can throw him in there and take off. I don't, sometimes Jesus has a mission. He has something he needs to get to, and he has to get in the boat because the crowds are pushing down on him. But this time he just gets out in the boat because there's hundreds or thousands of people that would not hear him well if he weren't using in the infinite wisdom of God before they knew about amplification and sound systems that God knew to get in the boat. Of course God knew. But just that he gets in the boat so that all of them could hear and not just those in the first few rows that then have to turn around to the next few rows that have to turn around to the next few rows. So here's how it reads. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake and the crowd that gathered around, around him was so large that he got into the boat and sat in it on the lake. By the way, that whole little thing about the amphitheater and the amplification has nothing to do with the message. I'm just a nerd. You know that. Um, while all the people were along, or he, he got into the, and sat in the boat on the lake, out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. And he taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, uh, as he was scattering, the seed fell along the path, and the birds came up and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plants were scorched, and they withered uh, because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up 
and choked out the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, and even 100 times. Then Jesus said, let he, uh, let, uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone with the 12 disciples, by the way, number, verse 10 there is the most crucial verse in this whole passage. When, when he was alone, the 12, uh, the 12 and others around him asked asked him about the parables, and he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, and never understanding. Otherwise, otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Okay, so that can get kind of confusing, that little part. It sounds kind of harsh, and some people argue that this is Jesus talking about what's called pre, uh, 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 dual or double predestination. Like he's saying, there, there are those that are going to hear and they're going to get it and they're saved. There are those that are going to hear and not going to get it and they're damned. That's not what he's saying. Just FYI. And I'm not, I'm not trying to work my way around an uncomfortable thing. That's not what he's saying. When he was alone, the 12 and others around him asked him about the parables. And then he talks about this mystery of the kingdom of God. And he says those on the outside. And so he infers that there are those on the inside. So what's the difference between an outsider and an insider? Well, let, we'll get to that in just a second. Remember the parable? Let's just say that a preacher comes here. Let's say that Josh Harrington shows up here in two weeks and he stands up and this is his sermon. There was a farmer who was scattering seed. Some fell on the path, some fell on the rocky soil, uh, some fell amongst the thorns and some grew up, you know, 30, produced a, a harvest of 30, 60 or 100 times. Well, duh. I mean, that's not even a miraculous harvest. You don't take a grain of barley and put it down and hope that one stalk comes up with one grain. You want 30, 60, or 100 per, per grain or per seed. This, is, this, this parable means nothing. Imagine if I stood up and I said, here's the, here's the sermon for today. A, a, a guy was scattering grass seed out on his lawn and someone on the driveway, someone on the, the kind of beaten path over right by the sidewalk and others where the chickweed's gonna grow up, but some, it grew. If you have ears to hear, hear. That's a meaningless parable. It's boring. It's easily understandable as far as what it says. But what it means is something completely different. So what is it? What's the difference between those who have eyes to see and ears to hear and those who don't? Those who, who hear it, because think about it. If, if some preacher stood up and he gave you that little five-minute vignette about a farmer throwing some seed on his lawn, and you hear that some of it grows up, and some of it grows up a little while and gets choked out, and some of it grows up, and then the sun scorches it, and some doesn't grow up at all because the birds eat it, you might go, huh, well, that guy's not exactly going to get a book deal, right? He's not going to be the next Craig Groeschel. He's not going to be the next Andy Stanley. He's not going to be the next Francis Chan. He's just not that big of a deal. Well, there's a lot of people who heard Jesus and they went, huh, all right. And they go home, never, never to come up again, never to bring it up again. Now we'll get to the insider outsider thing here in just a second. But then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. So if Jesus is the farmer and Jesus is the sower, Jesus is sowing himself. He is the word of God. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. 
As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and he takes it away, takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown in rocky places, hear the word and, and at once receive it with joy. But since, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution come because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word. But when the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, or the desires for other things come in and choke out the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word and accept it, produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. So if you've been around the church or been in the church or been in Christianity for a while or even read the Gospels, you already knew what that parable meant. And it's a, it, I mean, we teach it in Sunday school. We teach it all the way through. It's good stuff. But not if you only hear the parable and you don't seek out an explanation from Jesus. And that's the difference, folks, between an insider, someone who's going to have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive what the Lord has for us, and an outsider, someone who does not have eyes to see, ears to hear, or hearts to receive. It's verse 10. When he was alone, the 12 and others around him asked him about the parable. See, the pattern of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark and in most of the Gospels is like this. He teaches, people hear, and then people go, huh? Hey, help me out here. I don't get that. So he teaches again. He asks, do you understand now? And if you do or you don't, there might be a little correction like, hey, come on, you got to listen up here. But for the most part, he instructs again. The difference between an outsider and an insider is what kind of authority you give to the speaker and whether you're willing to seek his authority further. See, this parable is meaningless unless you believe that the one who's giving it is, is the truth, is the way, is the life. If you don't believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, then you hear this parable and you go home and you're like, that was weird. I can't believe I walked three miles to hear that business. Yeah, he was in a boat and there was a bunch of people around, but really a farmer with some seed? What does that mean? But some people seek out Jesus and ask him, what did that mean? Because it's the wisdom of God communicated to humanity. Humanity's not gonna understand it unless we ask God to tell us more. And there are insiders who become outsiders, and there are outsiders who quickly become insiders. There are those who don't, who are on the, think of the woman with the issue of blood. She's been bleeding for years. She's used up all her money with all of her doctors. She's pale of skin because she's anemic. She's an outcast. She's not allowed to touch anybody or be in contact with anybody, but she's willing to crawl through a group of people to tug on the hem of the garment that is Jesus' cloak. And not only does he stop because he felt it, who touched me, but he calls her out. He restores her to himself. He restores her health and he restores her to community. She was an outsider who quickly became an insider because she sought out Christ. Blind Bartimaeus, the son of Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus' kid. He's along the side of the road. He's an outsider. He's blind. Evidently, he's done something sinful that has made him blind. But he cries out, even though people told him not to. He cries out and he seeks the Lord. And the Lord says, what do you want me to do for you? I want my sight back. And he gets it. Not only does he get his sight back, but he's restored to God. He's restored to in, in health and he's restored to everybody else. Same thing with Zacchaeus, the wee little man, right? He climbs up. He ignores everybody else, but he seeks out Jesus. 
We see this time and time and time again, outsiders, Levi, who becomes Matthew, a tax collector, just the chapter before this, this chapter in, in chapter three, Jesus calls an outsider and says, I'm going to have dinner with you and I'm going to meet with all the prostitutes, sinners, and tax collectors. Jesus is hanging out with the wrong people, but an outs all these outsiders become insiders. Why? Because they ask of the Lord, they seek of the Lord, and they ask for further instruction and or understanding. And it's easy to become an outsider quickly as well. If you're an insider, Judah. Judas. You think Judas is an insider? You think Judas is spending eternity with God in heaven? Of course not. But he was one of Jesus' closest friends. But because he was tempted, not even by the great wealth of the lotto, the billion dollar lotto from a couple of weeks ago, but 12 pieces of silver, that's a good year's wage. He was willing to sell out who would be his Lord, who would be his savior, but certainly who is the Messiah. He's willing to sell him out for a couple of pieces of silver. See, the difference between someone who gets it and someone who doesn't is whether or not we seek God's understanding. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all this will be added to you. That is a, a meaningless parable becomes unbelievably meaningful when we realize that the key verse in this passage is verse 10, that the 12 and others with them asked him about the parables. And Jesus says, there are going to be those who hear don't care. There are going to be those who hear and it's exciting until it gets hard and then they bail. There's going to be those who hear, but the stuff of earth competes for the allegiance and they give their allegiance to the stuff of earth and they wither away. What about you? That's what he's saying. Because we're all the soil. See, it's called the parable of the soil, but it could easily be called the parable of the soil. And what kind of soil you are is up to you because Think about it. When Jesus is walking around on this planet, he says the same things to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, to the teachers of the law, and even to the Herodians and the Romans, as he says to the prostitutes, the sinners, and the tax collectors. He doesn't change. He, 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 he sows with abandon his word and himself. He gives to everyone the same opportunity as everyone else. Everyone. Whether it be rocky soil, whether it be, uh, whether it be beaten path, rocky soil, thistled soil. And the cool thing is, is that you can go from rocky soil or uh, beaten soil to good soil that quick. And the sad thing is you can go from good soil to rocky soil or to weeded soil that quick. See, the soil fails in three ways. It's either hardened and Satan comes and takes it up. It's either rocky and it's like, oh, this is awesome. This is encouraging until it gets hard and then you lose your courage and you give up. Or the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, or the desires for other things choke out the very gospel, the spirit of God that Jesus plants within you. So the soil can fail three ways, but it also succeeds in three ways. See, in order to become good soil, when the gospel of God is being presented, whether it be you reading it, whether it be someone talking to you and sharing a testimony, whether it be in a sermon, whether it be at a camp, it doesn't matter where it is, and it doesn't matter how often it happens. If you want to be good soil, receive it quickly. Receive it deeply and receive it exclusively so that nothing else in your life 
gets the allegiance that belongs only to God. That's that the weeds come up, the worries of this world, the worries of life, the desires for other things, and the, 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 the deceitfulness of wealth. Now, I'm guessing since you showed up on a Sunday morning or you're tuning in and you have a Super Bowl Sunday, there's, every, there's all kinds of distractions. There's lots of chicken wings to make. I get it. There's lots of stuff to do. There's lots of people who probably admire right now buying up the rest of the alcohol so that they can have the, the, their time with everybody tonight. Awesome. Enjoy your time. Celebrate. And I don't even know who's in the game. I can tell you, I can tell you when the next uh, Major League Fishing tournament is. But I cannot tell you who, I, Tom, uh, uh, Tampa Bay, that's the only one I know. Okay. Enjoy your time. But there are many excuses not to be here. There are many excuses not to be tuned in. And even if you don't have excuses, you can make one up. Didn't get much sleep last night. Okay. So I'm guessing that you're not the beaten path, hardened heart. And I'm guessing that you're not the rocky soil because life, life, life's been hard and you're still sticking with it. In the midst of this ongoing, weird, strange pandemic time and the weird political environment, you're still seeking God. But is it possible that you're the weeded soil? Is it possible that there's something else in your life that is getting your time, your attention, something else in your life that you're willing to bend your day, your will to? Pastor Doug, a few years ago, was talking about idolatry, and he said, talked about the time when God convicted him of his idolatry, and it was pop. Doug got the sense that God wanted him to give up pop. He called it soda. I don't know where he's from. Um, but I want you to give up, I want you to give up pop, and, and, and Doug's like, pop's not a big, it's just, a, it's just something I drink. It's got some fizziness and some sugar in it, and maybe not even the sugar. Maybe it's the diet stuff. What, what's the big, it's not a big deal. And God said to him inside his mind, all idols are small. None of them are big. None of them. But the sad thing is that somehow, some way, we find a way to give our hearts, our minds, our money, and even our will to things that are small. I quoted Rich Mullins several weeks ago. The stuff of earth competes for the allegiance but I owe only to the giver of all good things. What has your allegiance? Because God is a jealous God and that's a good thing because he wants to be the, the primary reason for living, the primary thing that gets your, your, your utmost desire. He wants to be what you plan your day, what you bend your will to because he knows that if you have him first, Life works. It doesn't mean it'll be easy, but it works. And there's hope. And without him there, when anything else competes for that allegiance and gets your allegiance, then, then life starts to fall apart and hopelessness kicks in. So I'm going to ask you to ask yourself a question before we receive this sacrament of communion. Before we commune not only with one another, he's restoring us to one another, just like he did with the woman with the issue of blood, um, Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, and, and all the other healings. He's, he doesn't just take care of them physically. It restores them to God, and it restores them to community. I'm going to ask you to ask yourself a question. What worries do I have in this life? Have I believed the deceitfulness of wealth? Or what desires for other things do I have that are more important to me than God? I don't know what it is in you. 
do know what it is in me. And I believe this principle, that anyone, those of you old enough that ever went to camp, do you remember the song, Humble Thyself in the Sight of the Lord? Anyone? Okay, there's a few. I'm not going to sing it because you would not recognize it. But there's something about humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. The difference between humbling yourself before God, so that is to bend your knee willingly before you come to him, then to wait to be humbled by him. You see the difference? The scripture says that at the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess that he is Lord and every knee will bow. Now, some knees will be bowed on purpose. We will come before the Lord. It's not what I've done, Lord. It's what you've done. But others will realize that, yes, indeed, there is a God and I'm not it. And they will be forced to their knees. Which would you prefer? Would you prefer to come to him willingly with a bent knee and will or wait for him to show you that your life is not going to work and that you aren't as big a deal as you think you are and, 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 and for pain to come instead of submission to come? See, if I humble myself, he doesn't need to humble me. So ask him, what is getting in the way of lordship, your lordship in my life? And he'll know. And here's the beautiful thing. Just like with the parable, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to ask and he's going to show. And then you're going to go, really? And he's going to go, do you not understand? See this? Oh. See, what makes you good soil is that you receive it quickly. You receive it deeply. You receive it exclusively. That means nothing else except for God. And if you don't understand, you come back to him and ask. Otherwise, this is meaningless. Honestly, some of these parables are drivel. If you don't believe the truth teller is the truth itself. See, Jesus isn't sowing the word. He's giving to all himself. And we can receive him quickly, deeply, but exclusively is the hard one. What's getting in the way? If you don't know, God does. And he won't tell you if you don't ask. So be humble and submissive and say, Lord, show me because I don't want anything to come between me and you. I don't want to desire anything else before you. And here's the beauty of God. He will probably, whatever it is that's getting in the way, if it's something that's not evil, you will, he will say, I want, I, I want this. Doug still drinks pop. But the Lord wanted to know that he was willing to give it up. And then he gave it back. And he said, just remember who this belongs to and treat it accordingly. It doesn't, it's not that big a deal, Doug. I am. Same thing with whatever it is that you have. He will probably take it and he will, he will make it new and he will see if you're willing to, to really be without. And then he will go, okay, now. Just don't misuse it, don't abuse it, don't let it become something you're concerned about more than you're concerned about me. See, God is the giver of all good things, but sometimes we bend our will to the good things instead of to the giver. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you. Thank you for the author, Mark. 
in his willingness to just show without any distraction, without any other things, he just shows who you are and what you have to say and what you come to do. We bless you for that so that there's no distractions. Lord, I pray that you give us the courage as we prepare to receive this means by which you give us grace, this way of connecting us with one another and with you, this way, this, this means by which you actually forgive sin. We ask that you give us the courage to ask you what's getting in the way, Lord. And when you show us that we respond and say, yes, Lord, no to this other thing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Through the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.